This episode is brought to you by Rhino Skin Solutions, my go-to when it comes to taking care of my skin. Here's the deal. We're coming into spring and summer here in the Northern Hemisphere. It's starting to warm up. And if you're like me and you're trying to get outside and climb on rock, sweaty hands are once again a factor in your performance. Luckily for us, my pal Justin Brown, the founder of Rhino Skin Solutions, has a solution. Rhino's line of antiperspirant products are a game changer when it comes to climbing in warm or humid conditions, especially if you have sweaty skin like I do. Check out their performance cream, dry spray, and tip juice to keep your hands dry as you tackle your summer projects. And check out my episode with Justin way back in episode 22 of The Nugget to learn how to use these products and how to take great care of your skin for whatever type of climbing you love to do. Head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com and enter code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order of Rhino's antiperspirant products. Stock up on performance cream, dry spray, and tip juice, and keep your skin dry and happy in the summer heat. Once again, that's rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. This episode is brought to you by Crimped. This might be the best tool in the app store when it comes to training for rock climbing. Here's the deal. The Crimped app gives you access to 75 different workouts created by world-class climbers and coaches, Tom Randall and Ollie Tor of Lattice Training, for free. So you can download the app right now and see if you like it. And if you want even more training power, consider signing up for Crimped Plus. Crimped Plus unlocks three main things. Instead of the 75 workouts you get with a free version, you will have access to over 200 workouts and progressions. Secondly, with Crimped Plus, you can create your own custom training plans right there in the app. And finally, you'll unlock a collection of skill templates designed to bootstrap your training and focus on specific areas of improvement. Want to improve your finger strength or get more flexible or conquer the one-arm pull-up? Well, guess what? There's a skill template for each of those things and many more that will guide you through the process. So check out Crimped. Go to crimped.com or download the Crimped app for free from the App Store and consider signing up for Crimped Plus. Crimped, training on your own has never been easier. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast, where it is my job to extract as many nuggets as possible from some of the best rock climbers in the world, and we have one of them on the show today. My guest today is Pete Whitaker, and Pete is widely regarded as one of the best crack climbers in the world. You know this guy as one of the wide boys. He, along with Tom Randall, did the first ascent of the Century Crack, which is the hardest off-width in the world. That was over a decade ago, which is hard to believe. And this guy really does it all. He's done hard solo link-ups in Yosemite. He's climbed a V13 Crack Boulder. And in September of this year, he did the first ascent of one of the hardest trad lines in the world, Crown Royale 514D or 9A in Norway. So of course we talked about that in this conversation and the timing of this one was really fun. When I interviewed Pete, he was in Moab with Tom trying a project there. We talk about that in this interview. In fact, they're still there as of me recording this intro. They're out in Moab trying Mason Earl's route, Stranger Than Fiction, a 514 crack in the desert. Pete sent the route shortly after this interview and Tom, as far as I know, is still working away and has a few sessions left to try to send. So 
Very fun timing with this one. And I've got a very special treat for patrons today. So this episode's about an hour and a half. The whole thing is with Pete Whitaker. As soon as we wrapped up this episode, Tom joined us and we did another hour with the Wide Boys. So it was me interviewing Pete and Tom, asking a lot of your most burning questions. They shared a lot of crack climbing tips and techniques. We had some laughs. It was super fun and you're not going to want to miss it. If you enjoyed this episode, definitely stick around for the patron extra that will be available right now. If you're listening to this, that extra hour will be available wherever you get your podcasts on the patron version of the show. It's only available for patrons who support the show, but you can become a patron for free. There's a seven-day free trial. It just takes a few minutes to sign up. You can cancel at any time, no questions asked. I'm going to be doing a lot more of these, so obviously I would love it if you stuck around and continued to support me via Patreon. It goes a long way to helping out the show. But yeah, if you want to check it out, there's no risk. You can try it for free. All right, without further ado, let's dive in. Please enjoy this wide-ranging and very fun conversation with Pete Whitaker. Okay, tell me what you had for breakfast this morning. Breakfast. Oh, it was a late breakfast. Um, I actually had Cheerios and fruit. <laughs> Cheerios and <laughs> it was fruit. given to me by somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And half a burrito. <laughs> half a burrito, Cheerios and fruit. Yeah, breakfast of champions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have such a deep, rich voice. It's very nice. Has anyone told you that before? <laughs> no, I've never heard that before. That's I want to hear you time. record a bedtime story that I could like play for people on the podcast or something. It's very... Very soothing. I've never heard anybody say my voice is deep. <laughs> it's it's really nice. Maybe it's something about the room, but yeah, it's coming through rich and uh, it's it's yeah, maybe wonderful. It's, maybe it's the room. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> take some credit. Based my voice. Yeah, take a little bit of credit for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll take some credit. Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> it is great to meet you, man. I feel like this is long overdue. Tom's been on the podcast far too many times, and uh, I feel like I've needed the other the other wide boy for my collection. So it's so nice to meet you. <laughs> so glad to have you here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same as well. Like I've listened to your podcast um, a whole bunch over the years, and you know, I've I've seen. I've seen you've moved onto YouTube as well, so I've uh, been like watching the little snippets on there and stuff like that. So, All right yeah, on, yeah, it's man. good to finally, uh, good to finally connect. It's, yeah. yeah, it's nice. Cheers, thanks for having me on. Cheers for the invite. Of course, my pleasure. Where are you in the world? Let's start with that. Uh, I am in Moab at the moment in the okay. USA. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, just got here uh, like four days ago. So, I came from Yosemite. So, I'm just yeah. from Yosemite. Okay, okay. Yeah. Do you have a specific mission? I know, I mean, obviously you guys are known for this, you know, the the years of training in the cellar for the century crack. Um, you guys have been back to Moab many, many times. I don't know what you're up to these days. Are you still looking for new things or do you have specific uh, dream projects out there in the desert somewhere? Uh, I mean, we're always looking for new things. Like, I mean, well, I, when I say we, uh, me and Tom. <laughs> so yeah, like in terms of like crack climbs and we have been visiting the desert for 10 plus years now i think out here in moab um mm -hmm. just like looking for crack climbs also repeating crack climbs um this time we're on like we're doing less first ascending 
um, and more like trying to repeat some stuff. Okay. So I'd say I'd say a little bit different to usual, actually, because in many years, it's always just been like kind of seeking first ascents. Now we're yeah, kind of looking at other stuff. So nice. Is it just needing your fix? I mean, Moab Moab is incredibly unique. I don't crack climb, you know, anywhere near as much as you do. And in fact, I've never climbed in Indian Creek, but I've climbed in Zion a little bit. And I know that those sandstone splitters are truly like nothing else. Is it kind of one of a kind, like on a global scale, or are there other areas that have similar pure comfy splitters like that? I think there's other areas that have pure comfy splitters, but I think what's pretty unique for around here is the um, the concentration mm. of them, like all together in lots of different styles, lots of different widths. You know, if you're like, if you're bad at finger locks, then you can find a crack to work finger locks. And then, mm. you know, you don't have to travel like to another climbing area to then work your ring locks, for example. You can just move three groups to the right <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you're in Indian Creek so I think like that's what's really new unique about it out here there's just so much and also um I guess with other climbing areas there are other climbing areas that are kind of like known for their crack climbing but I feel like a lot of climbing areas are kind of a bit broader than that whereas this Moab Indian Creek desert area it's like you go there and you go there for crack climbing mm-hmm. which I don't really feel like you get in a lot of other places. I can't think of many of the places in the world where it's like you wouldn't go for anything else but crack climbing. Mm-hmm. There's always something else in these other places, you know, right. which you which you might go for. So yeah, yeah. That, I think that's why it's so unique out here. Yeah, yeah. Lots of like-minded people, yeah. and everyone's there for the same reason. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. How do you operate on a trip? Do you have like a tick list? Do you have a Do you have a long list of things you want to do? Do you already have projects picked out? Are you just like going around and seeing what you feel inspired by? Um, usually there's an objective. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in the in the past years, there's always been like a route or a few routes or a first ascent that we'd seen on a previous trip and that we wanted to go and check out this like in the next trip um, mm-hmm. or a specific repeat. Um, so yeah, usually there's a goal to it. I would say last year when I came, uh, I just climbed in Indian Creek and that was the first time in the 10 years I've been coming here where there was no goal. Was oh, wow. Like, oh, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to sample some routes in Indian Creek and just climb loads of like 512 and 513. Yeah. And just, you know, w- work on my crack technique and work on the different sizes and just do mileage, you know. So. Yeah, I'm sure it's fascinating for people to hear that you still go to Indian Creek to work on specific sizes and crack technique. I mean, you know, you're you're truly yeah. one of the best in the world, um, and you've you've climbed one of the hardest trad routes in the world. What are you still working on? What What are some of the pain points or areas of weakness for you with your with your crack climbing specifically? Uh, with crack climbing, I I feel like I've got a definite weakness in the uh, green camelot size. So that's ring locks. Um, and I mean... Kind of rattly fingers. ring lock. Yeah, rattly fingers is okay. Okay. Like, I feel like I can I can do rattly fingers. But ring locks, are, I kind of struggle with them, really. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's just not my favorite size. It's like, yeah, I can do them and I can climb some ring lock routes, but it's just, it's lower down on my list of crack techniques, which are 
which are as which are as good i think mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's a weakness in my crack climbing for sure mm -hmm. yeah gotcha so you just pick a crack that's exactly that size and just hammer that position over and over again in case you know in case it shows up on a project or something that you want to do yeah i picked a few on the on the last trip of this green size and yeah, they gave me a hard time, but I felt like I, I learned a whole bunch of things. So nice. yeah, it was nice. And um, I actually learned, like, I found out on that trip that actually me and Tom ring lock differently. Mm. And all these all these years, I'd never known that we actually do it, like, subtly differently. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just due to um, our thumb size. But yeah, so there you go. I'm still always learning, you know, every time I go, so... Can you describe it? I know this is dicey terrain to get into on a podcast. It's hard to describe yeah, these yeah. things, but yeah, what did you notice? So usually when I ring lock, I'm, I'm bridging uh, my thumb across the crack. So one side of the thumb, the back of my thumb is touching one side and then the tip of the thumb is touching the other side. And then I'm essentially um, wrapping the fingers over the top as if I was doing a normal finger lock. Um, so the index going over the top of the thumb and then I'm turning it down as if it was a finger lock. And, and the, the thumb is kind of like a, a blocker in a way whereas what um tom actually did a, a little bit more was use the thumb as a bit more of a wedge and kind of slide this finger down into it so it was a bit more of like squeeze in between the thing, finger and the thumb he's like creating a slider with his finger and his thumb a little bit more so yeah yeah um so whereas i was going for more of a wrap and a twist he was going for a little bit more of a slide with the fingers that's probably really difficult for the listeners <laughs> to understand that <laughs> yeah. we're just we're just demonstrating it on screen but <laughs> well and, and what yeah. was your what was your takeaway from that like oh you know that's interesting i should try it his way he should try it my way did you guys decide that one was better or is it just oh there's literally a different best way for the two of us based on our finger anatomy yeah, so I properly kind of gave it a go Tom's way, like trying to figure out getting my fingers and thumb into that position. And I really struggled to like just push the index finger down the side of the thumb. And I think it's because the distance or the thickness of the nail to the pulp of my thumb is wider at the top than Tom's. So Tom's is a bit more like chiseled. Mm. So then he's able to slide it down. Um Whereas I just find I couldn't really do that very well. Okay. So, yeah, like all these, like we, we, within these small sizes, you know, like these fingers and these ring lock sizes, it's just like that extra mil or two mil that really make a difference in techniques and um, yeah, all these kind of things. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was interesting actually. Yeah. Yeah. What about this My year? Books out of date now. You see. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Yeah, yeah. You have to do a uh, second edition. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. What's the name of your book again? I'll link to it for people that want to check it out. Uh, for American audience, it's called uh, oh, what is it called? Crack climbing. Um, Cracky. What's the name? There's two <laughs> like subheadings. The English okay. version is crack climbing, mastering the skills and techniques. Mm. And ah, the other one is. Crack climbing, the definitive guide. Oh, so that's great. Published by Mountaineers. I imagine it's still the definitive guide for 99% of crack climbers. You know, like there's always more to learn at the very edge, but I'm sure that for most people that are intermediate or, or beginner crack climbers and just don't know how to get started, it's, uh, it's still a really good resource. 
Yeah, there's plenty of info in there. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> right on. What about this year? Do you have a goal? Do you have a specific goal for this trip? Uh, for this trip now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, me and Tom have come out to work on Mason Earl's route, which is called Stranger Than Fiction. So it's down on Bartlett Wash. So it's not in Indian Creek. Yeah. It's like more out um, Canyonlands way. That's the one that's that overhanging slanted splitter. Maybe it's, I don't know, 30 degrees or something. And he climbed it with one shoe or part of it with one yeah. shoe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So I can't remember the, the year he did it, but it's, it's quite a while ago now. Um, and then Tom came and sampled it for one session last year when he was out. And he was like, oh, Pete, it's really good. Um, there's loads of different sizes in it. You know, it goes everything from thin hands to... Um, like tips fingers mm. uh, so it like covers the full range in that uh you know we should go and try it so yeah we kind of we kind of set aside this this month so that was last year and then we set aside this month this year to kind of come and give it a go nice nice have you been able to try it yet yeah we've had um we've had three sessions on it so far okay so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and it's yeah i mean it's as good as it looks in those little videos that you see online. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where the actual, there was a long version video of Mason doing it, but I can't seem to find that anymore. Mm. But yeah, basically it shows him where he's like using a taped foot and uh, like one shoe because he couldn't get his toes in the crack at the top um, and things like that. So yeah, it's a pretty unique group. Yeah, I, I think I remember he climbed the bottom part of the route with, a sh- with two shoes and then had to figure out how to like take his shoe off halfway up the route or something and transition to barefoot on one on one foot. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's quite all right to take your shoe off halfway up um, because there's there's like two pretty good resting points. There's like a good resting point on some undercuts with good feet, and then there's like a jug rest at mm. halfway on the route, basically. So I think what Mason did was he used like just a slipper climbing shoe. So he had pre-taped feet underneath his shoe mm-hmm. and then put his shoe on. And then at halfway when he was on the jugs, it's a restful position. He had just like took the took the slipper off and he was able to climb the top crack with, with just a taped foot so he could get his toes in the crack. So yeah, pretty, pretty cool. And how's that? Are you doing the exact same thing? What have you guys come up with? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because me and Tom did try like a little bit with our toes in the crack and... I don't know. We weren't massively convinced <laughs> by it. I don't, I'm not sure. There's been a few other people trying this route and everybody's been like, oh yeah, you need to try it with taped feet. You need to try it with one shoe. It's like, it's way better. Hmm. Um, but I don't know, maybe we need some more sessions to come around to it. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't been like overly convinced so far. Okay. Uh, I've just been using like a, a thin, like the thinnest profile shoe that, um, that we have. We hmm. made some like, um, uh, we've got a friend, Danny Parker, and he loves doing like modifications on shoes. Um, and he made some, he like sanded down the base for us and that kind of stuff and Whoa. like made it like made it a bit more tapered so it would uh, fit in the crack easier. I love uh, this. So your toes must just be like perfectly straight. Yeah, yeah, to- totally flat. Yeah. Um, and there's like barely any rubber on the sole. So you have like no thickness of rubber. And um, and part of the midsole has been taken out and stuff. So okay. it's just like really, really thin. <laughs> I love it, dude. I'm, that's amazing. Yeah. 
yeah. all the modifications and tricks that you guys have come up with it's amazing yeah 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 so it's it seems to be seems to be working all right at the moment but we'll see i think we need to actually like get onto like the red point burns to see if like the shoe starts to give out in terms of yeah, like flexibility and stuff so mm. yeah <laughs> And then, yeah, so you've had three sessions. Um, where are you at? Have you, you know, did you guys do all the moves right away? Are you still working out sections? How's it going? Yeah, so I did, did all the moves in the first session. Um, and then second session, just started to do some, like, links. And uh, there's a hard boulder problem at the bottom, actually. So, and it's, it's like this green size. It's like... <laughs> the bad size for me mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's kind of yeah not not very good size for many people but particularly like i hate this size so um yeah i spent i spent a couple of sessions just like trying to work out the best sequence um on that section mm-hmm. um so yeah it's, it kind of breaks down into three bold problems split up by kind of pumpy climbing in a way okay so, yeah bold problem at the bottom which is like uh, greens and thin hands and you know i can just barely get my knuckles in and just each jam feels absolutely terrible mm. um and then the, the middle crooks is more like a a boulder problem uh so like what you would kind of class as n- more normal bouldering moves it's still on crack but they're kind of like long moves good jams mm. um you kind of need like a bit of normal bouldering strength helps on that bit um, and then the top crooks right at the very end is just like two really thin jams. And it's probably the easiest boulder problem, but you just know you're going to be really pumped when you get up there. Mm. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be pretty tough. I could, I could see myself falling off there, to be honest. Yeah, right so, on. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, again, going back to, you know, your first trip or one of your first trips to the States, you guys had that you know, classic wide boys film, you're training in the cellar for years leading up to this, the Brits come to, you know, conquer all of America's hardest offwits and all that sort of stuff. Are you still preparing for these kinds of trips to the same degree? I imagine that you don't have to train nearly as long or as hard for something like this. Are you just showing up and and trying it or did you guys train together and come up with a plan for this specific route? Uh, For this route in particular, I didn't do any like specific training for it. That's mainly because I had another project, which was like the focus of this year, which I was training for in September. So I was like really putting like all my efforts and making sure that I like peaked for September. Is this Crown? And I was like training specifically for, yeah, yeah, that's Crown Royale. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I was peaking for that. And then after that, I kind of like went to Yosemite and relaxed and was like, oh, Thank goodness, like I could just <laughs> not train and you know not have to. It was just like yeah, relief to do the project. Um, and then now I've come to the desert and you know just kind of a bit more relaxed about it. So mm. yeah, which is which is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take things in seasons a little bit. Yeah, just yeah. enjoy your climbing yeah. after such a big send. That's awesome. Congratulations on Crown. I'm excited to dive into that one. I've got a, a bunch of questions for you. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just seems. Um, yeah, so incredibly mega. There's so much we could talk about. I actually just interviewed uh, Matt Siegel and we talked about that wall a little bit. He's got a lot of interest in going and checking out Recovery Drink and um, it just looks so impressive. So this is the pro- uh, the profile wall. And how do you pronounce 
this area in Norway? Oh, I mean, I probably pronounce it wrong as well. I always say uh, Jossingfjord, but it's actually Jossingfjord. Jossingfjord. Yeah. Okay. Like, because they have it's the O with the strike through it, mm-hmm. so it's like an uh, it's like an uh sound. So I always just say Jossingfjord, and then people, other people say like Jossingfjord. Okay. And uh, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the Norwegians definitely wouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what a brilliant wall. It looks so magnificent. Those photos of you on uh, on Crown Royale were just just this. I mean, it captured some of the scope of it. I know it's a hundred meter pitch, so um, you know it's not like the whole thing's fitting into the frame. But it's just like, wow, what an incredible area. Tell me about the first time you went there because you've you've spent quite a bit of time there now. Recovery drink, and then I don't know how long you've been, you know, trying this or if this was a open project or if you found it or I, I actually don't know any of that stuff so um, but tell me about the first time visiting this area how did you hear about it and um, what did you think when you first when you first uh, showed up and and saw the wall yeah so the profile wall actually um so a lot of the climbs on the wall were previous aid climbs and uh, they were done in the kind of 90s i think by like a few Norwegians who were training for uh, bigger things like bigger cliffs in the area, so kind of practicing their aid climbing and stuff. And um, I actually first heard about the wall when Nico did recovery drink. Mm. And I think that was the third or fourth free route on the wall. So actually the first free route was done by Leo Holding um, and Neil Gresham. Oh, nice. So those guys went there in like early 2000s, I think. And then there were some Swedes that came and did like the other, like the popular 8B there, which is called Ronnie Medelsvensen. Um, and then Nico went and did recovery drink and that's when I heard about it. Nico Ferrezi. I think it was the year after. Yep, Nico Ferrezi, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went the year after that, or a couple of years after, I think it was 2016 maybe, was my first visit. And... It was actually because me and Tom got invited to a festival out there and it was kind of close by and we, yeah, we just thought we'd go and check it out because, you know, it was a, it was a crack climb. Nico had just done it. It was meant to be really hard. Um, so yeah, we were, we were keen to check it out. Yeah. It wasn't in America as well. So it was kind of like a bit more on our doorstep. Like, Ooh, exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I, I remember going to the wall for, the first time and knowing there was only like three or four routes on there Mm. and like looking at the wall i was like holy smokes there is a lot of potential to do here Mm. i I think when i first got there my mind didn't even kind of look to recovery drink it was more oh my god look at this wall there is so much to do on this there's only four free routes on it um because there's so many like steep crack lines and uh, yeah, I just knew like that first time from walking up like this, oh, this has got potential. Mm. This looked really good. Very cool. Um, That's exciting. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah, I went to do a recovery drink the next year and yeah, kind of repeated some of the other routes, made a few first ascents as well. Um, and I think that's when I got kind of really like inspired that, oh yeah, this could be, there could be some good stuff here. So, mm. Yeah. I want to. I want to keep kind of exploring, exploring cool. the wall. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not a massive wall, you know. It's not like 
it's not totally huge. It's not like a big cliff like Seuss or something. It's more just like a, a buttress, you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, it's cool. What makes it so different or unique? I mean, it's so rare that, um, yeah, I mean, this is something we could talk about a lot, but trad climbing has just lagged so far behind the cutting edge of sport climbing. And a lot of that just has to do with logistics. You know, it's so hard to find a crack that goes and yet is really hard and is safe enough and you can actually place gear. Um, a lot of the hardest stuff these days, you know, like tribe, I haven't obviously been there, but it's more sport climby, face climby, protected by gear. Um, whereas this wall seems to just be like kind of next level actual crack climbing. Why is that? What is it about it? What What is it about the way that it forms that allows for that? Yeah, I, th I think with this wall, it's I kind of think about it as sporty crack climbing. Okay. So it's really useful to have really efficient uh, or really proficient like crack climbing techniques. So if you don't know how to crack climb, you're going to have a pretty hard time. Um, but on the flip side, I think if you only crack climb and you've only done that your whole life and you spent 15 years only climbing in Indian Creek, for example, and never been sport climbing, then I also think you're going to have a really hard time mm. because there's a lot of kind of face holds and footholds outside the crack and you have to do moves that aren't just pure jamming as well. It's a real mixture between between both, um, which is why I quite like it. And mm. yeah, and also because you do have these crack features, another thing is it does lend itself really well to safe climbing. So you can really push yourself physically, but not have to worry about the danger, mm -hmm. which um, has, has appealed to me more and more over <laughs> the years. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've done my fair share of like uh, run out bold things, but yeah. Yeah, from the age of 25 and onwards, I've kind of been more motivated to uh, look at difficulty rather than danger. Mm. Um, I don't mind, I don't mind like massive falls, but I'm not like that keen on decking out these days, you know? Right, totally, totally. Yeah, how how old are you now? Uh, 32 now. Okay, okay. Yeah, a little wisdom yeah. coming in your 30s. <laughs> no, yeah. I, 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 um, I so admire, I mean, the the grit and all the stuff that um, that you guys do and that you've done. Um, but yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, having said that though, yeah, the massive falls. So I read your Instagram posts about crown and, um, an article, you know, an interview that you, that you had done like a written article thing. And this is a hundred meter pitch, which is insane. We should just talk about the logistics of that. Um, yeah, the, the rope drag, the rope weight must be incredible. But you place 17 pieces, I think, in a 100-meter pitch and uh, did some fast math. And I was like, okay, cool. That's that's one piece every six meters on average. So on average, you're going 20 feet between placements. I'm sure there's places where you're running it out a lot further than that. Um, yeah, tell me, <laughs> tell me about that. Did you take any insanely massive falls? Are you just like, were you strategically able to just do massive runouts on the easier parts? Like how, how did that end up working out? Cause that is not a lot of gear for a hundred meter pitch. Yeah. So, um, if, if we break the route down, actually it's, I would say it's 60 meters of, um, hard climbing. And that's where I placed the 17 pieces. And then there was 40 meters, there's 40 meters at the top to, um, 
finish the whole wall but it's, it's much easier the, the hard climbing is over after that okay and, and for the top 40 meters i didn't place anything so it's kind of easy <laughs> climbing. Um, so, but like we're talking easy like you know relative to to what you've just done yeah but so, how how easy i mean that's incredible <laughs> you know if um after the 60 meters um then there's probably it's probably 510 and then goes uh, 59 okay kind of rounds over five or something. six top out yeah exactly yeah, yeah okay yeah yeah totally, totally. still though, 40 meter yeah. run out that's pretty wild nice <laughs> yeah. you just walk off the top and just untie your rope and throw the rope down yeah 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 totally yeah cool yeah, yeah. that yeah, must have felt good top out the buttress yeah so, yeah it's, it's cool cool to top out yeah um so but yeah the, the bits lowered down um obviously like lower or lower to the ground in in the first crooks um there's obviously one crucial piece which needs placing you have to do like a, a small run out where you need like your BLA needs to be paying attention but you're not gonna like hit the floor or anything but they need to be paying attention to whilst you're placing this piece of gear and then there's some easier climbing after that and for the easier climbing then I I ran the sections out a little bit more just because you don't want to be carrying loads of gear for the easy parts. Mm -hmm. um, and then the route is kind of split up into lots of boulder problems. So what I tend to do was place a piece at the start of the boulder problem when I had better holds, blast through the boulder problem, get to better holds, place a piece, blast through a boulder problem, you know, so on all the way. Okay. So there was only one piece on the route um, or two pieces, one in the lower crooks, which was tricky to place, and one in the middle crooks, which was tricky to place. But out of 17 pieces, only two pieces, which are actually like a little bit tricky to place. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. All the hard parts are well protected. Plug a piece, crank some hard yeah, moves. Yeah, and then just go for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Yeah. And as you, as you get higher, then you just run it out even more because... Um, you're just so high and the wall so steep that it's just not a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although when I was actually climbing it, um, I had I had somebody filming me, and they couldn't get up to the top section in time, so they were like filming up at me, and they were hanging on a rope, and I like I'll, you'll see from the video which I'll release in like a month or something that the run out's quite long and it basically looks like if I fall off I'm just gonna just hit the cameraman <laughs> completely <laughs> he's just like looking up filming me and he's just like literally yeah literally right below me it's quite funny <laughs> <But> yeah <laughs> and I'm just really pumped you can see in the video I'm just absolutely boxed <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah it's quite funny love it yeah and we will be right back this episode is brought to you by Rumple. Fall is here. We're heading toward winter, and that means the temps are dropping, and it's time to get cozy. And nothing is cozier than bundling up with a puffy blanket from Rumple. I have three Rumple blankets, you guys. I'm not kidding. And because it's been cold in the van at night, I have been obsessed with the Sherpa Puffy Blanket. And maybe you're listening to this thinking, Stephen, that's great. I love that for you. I'm glad you like your cozy blanket, but I've got bills to pay. I've got other things to spend money on. I'm not going to buy myself a fancy blanket. Well, 
you're going to need gift ideas for the holidays. And right now is the perfect time to stock up on Rumple gear and grab your gifts for friends and loved ones for the holidays. Rumple's Not Home for the Holidays sale is live right now with 25% off almost everything on the site. Plus, they're doing a free gift with all qualifying orders from Black Friday through Cyber Monday. So give the gift of coziness this holiday season by shopping at Rumple. Go to rumple.com slash nugget and get 25% off almost everything on the site during their holiday sale. The sale is live right now and will go from November 14th to December 4th. So you still have time to grab your cozy gifts for the holidays. One more time, go to rumple.com slash nugget. No discount code needed. rumple.com slash nugget. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that it's not just about climbing. It's also about getting to know people and learning from them. And it's about getting to know ourselves because until we do that, it's really hard to know how to get where we wanna go in life or romantic relationships or climbing or anything. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way that we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. I go to therapy twice a month and it's awesome. It's just nice to talk to somebody whose job it is to really listen no matter what you're dealing with. If you're having a hard time or just want a professional to help you become the best version of yourself, then therapy is going to be awesome for you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. That's what I use. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge and without any awkwardness. It's super easy. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com nugget today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash nugget. And now back to the show. Tell me more about your process on that one. Was this multiple seasons? So I did the bottom half of the route back in uh, 2019. So I did the bottom half into an easier finish. And that was like another 60 meter pitch. But the top section was way easier. And then... I kind of like ignored this harder finish for quite a long time because I'd just done recovery drink at the time and I was I kind of needed a bit of a break from the wall. I'd been projecting there a lot. Mm-hmm. And then it was only this year where I was like, oh, I need to go and go back and have a look at the full line, have a look at that project again. Um, so in the spring, I went back, checked out the top part. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, this actually goes. Because before I'd abseiled down it, I was like, oh, I'm not sure if this actually goes. Um, but this time I was like, yeah, this definitely works. And then just got stuck in cause I was, yeah, really keen mm. straight away. So yeah, I did the, so bottom section in 2019 and then in 2023, uh, then I've been working on it this year. Okay. So, so you check it out in the spring, go home, train for it, come back in the fall or come back in September. Yeah. In this, yeah. In the spring, I fully checked it out. 
um, and just worked all the moves. Yeah, did some training over the summer. And then what I did was actually did the top half, the top portion as a pitch in itself. Um, and I actually did that late summer. Um, and that was really useful as like a bit of an intermediate goal to do this this top half. Uh, and then in September, I linked the original bottom half into the top half that I didn't done in late summer. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. And it was actually a really useful like learning process to do that top half as an individual section of climbing because I learned a lot on lead from doing that. And I think if I just started from the ground every single time, I would have blown it on that top section a lot more. And I would have had to climb the bottom section. Mm. You know, I would have had to do 30 meters into that top section way, way, way more times mm. than if I, you know, kind of worked that top section as a, a single pitch. So um, it was really useful to do that, actually. Nice. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm curious. I mean, you and Tom um are just such a unit right like you have your own name the wide boys um and then you became the bridge boys and then you know <laughs> all these different iterations of that how do you guys decide these days what to do together um versus it seems like you just went and tried this thing by yourself like this was your mission not a you and tom mission i could be wrong about that but um what do those conversations look like for you guys these days um, you, you obviously have very different lives you know he's doing a thousand things, got businesses and stuff and, and, um, you're very busy as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's more just, we're always talking to each other, obviously about projects and what we're doing and things like that. And I think it's just kind of what ends up connecting, you know, cause obviously I told Tom that I'm trying this project and all that kind of stuff. And if he'd been keen to come and try it, then it could have totally been joint thing you know mm-hmm. um but i guess he just had his own things then or wasn't keen on, at that particular time to come back to the profile wall um yeah or you know the project just didn't fit with him whereas this thing in the desert tom was talking about it and um i was like oh yeah like i definitely want to come and check it out that'd be great and then it ended up being you know we're here together it ends up being like a bit of a joint project but i'm sure if i'd gone oh no actually i'm staying in yosemite then Tom would have still come to Moab, tried it, and he would have tried the project by himself. So, mm. yeah, it's really, we're always just in conversation and then some things just like click and connect and we mm-hmm. end up doing them together and and then some things don't. So Tom went running for like two years as well yeah. on like some uh, running, cli- running climbing mission. And I remember him at the, at the beginning of that sort of fe- feed it, feeding it a little bit to me. And I, I didn't, I didn't take it. I was like, I'm not going running. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it him that initiates most of these joint projects that you guys have done? Um, I think it's a mixture of both. It's actually. A mix, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so it's weird because we end up on these projects and then a few months into them, we're like, how did this one come about again? <laughs> I'm not really sure. Like, <laughs> yeah. How have we got here? Yeah. 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 Why why are we on the underside of a, a motorway bridge again? Totally. I've forgotten who, why were you guys down there? My God. <laughs> I love that film. Yeah. So uh we'll we'll come back to Crown Royale in a minute, but I have this list of questions here, and this is a fun time to jump into them. 
Of all these crazy objectives that you've done with Tom, you didn't go down the running path. I admire you for that. Good, good choice, I think. Um, but the, the century crack, you know, the two years of training in the cellar for that. Cobra crack, the bridge boys. You'll have to, you'll have to remind me what some of the other ones have been. But I wanted to hear of all yeah, these crazy objectives. Big, big walling stuff as well. Yeah, big walling Sorry. stuff. Yeah, cool. um, which ones have been the most, I've got four categories. Fun, rewarding, miserable, and traumatizing. <laughs> um, I think the Century Crack trip uh, was was really fun. I think uh, just because at that point in my life, I think how old was I then? I was twenty, I think then. I'd never been out of Europe, I don't think. It was my first time to America. Mm. Um, that was a full road trip. You you guys did tons of stuff. Yeah, and it, it wasn't just like going and climbing Century Crack, but it was like we visited loads of different areas. We went and climbed, you know, these routes and this style that we were really into at the time. And we just got to meet people along the way and sample loads of cool stuff. And I think, yeah, it was just like really memorable trip even to this day like mm. that was definitely the most fun and then you know the outcome was what we've been training for 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 the two years so it was all like really it made it even more fun because it was just rewarding at the end so mm -hmm. um yeah yeah so i'd say that was the most fun um what was the second category we've got rewarding miserable yeah and traumatizing um miserable i would say Miserable was probably the um, Bridge Boys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was still it looks fun, so dirty. It, it looks so it gross. Was quite miserable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like eating pizza of... like under the grime of a motorway. I was like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> just like that thing of just years of car dust and dirt and oil and fuel and whatever coming down that gap in the bridge. Yeah, and because obviously nobody else has been along there cleaning it. We're just cleaning it as we go. And it's just, oh, just so much stuff, so much dirt. Um, yeah, it was kind of like miserable that I would say. And also it was just, yeah, it was really uh, hard work as well, doing the same move mm. for 2,500 feet. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. So it was, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a miserable one. And then traumatizing, I would say, probably the trip in Yosemite. Me and Tom did like a big walling trip to Yosemite where we tried to climb as many or free as many uh, big walls as we could in like, uh, it, well, it was my first season in Yosemite. Mm. Um, but I think it was it was kind of difficult for, I felt like it was a little bit difficult for Tom because he struggles with exposure. Mm. Um um quite a bit if he hasn't been yeah doing it very much so there was there was definitely like a bit of a struggle on that trip in terms of in terms of that so mm. um what was that like yeah, for you he hasn't gone but he hasn't gone back um he hasn't gone back to your 70 since no <laughs> <laughs> no um for me um i mean like i i i really enjoyed the trip and for me like yeah it was like a whole new thing again, like eye-opening to the, the big walling world. Um, I think that was 2014 now, so nearly 10 years ago. 
Um, and yeah, I felt like it's shown me different opportunities and stuff. So I found it like a really, I found it a really re- rewarding trip, but maybe as a pair, it was maybe quite traumatizing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you feeling that? Yeah, I mean, as yeah. his, as his partner on that trip, like how is that affecting you? What are you dealing with up there? Like you're trying to support him, but also just trying to enjoy being up there, trying to be psyched, probably like having some, you know, intimidation and, and fear yourself on some of these hard, difficult things. Yeah, I think, I mean, it definitely was um, difficult because I think when you can see your partner struggling in whatever it is, doesn't, you know, in this, in this case, it was exposure and, you know, having a difficult time, but obviously he's wanting to do well, then that's, it's kind of difficult, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I like to think of myself as a decent climbing partner and kind of offer support where it's need to, or take the leads when it's need to, or, you know, do what's needed. And I'm like, I'm definitely not going to push it. And, you know, if we did have to go down, then we would have had to go down. Mm. I don't think Tom would have ever wanted to do that, but you know, I think, yeah, I kind of like to think I'm, <laughs> a good climbing partner in that sense yeah yeah like listen, listening to your partner i think that's important especially on the walls as well mm. when when there's if if people aren't feeling right and mistakes are made then that's when it can become like really deadly and stuff so mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. it's good to it's good to l- listen to the vibe i think yeah totally yeah. yeah okay you got one more rewarding rewarding um rewarding Mm. I think the trips that we've done down to the White Rim in Canyonlands have been really rewarding. Um, and I think it's it's definitely one of my favorite areas that I've been climbing. That's where Century Crack is? That's where Century Crack is. But yeah. from that trip, we've been back down to the same area uh, maybe four or five different trips, like long extended trips. Mm-hmm. Because on that Century Crack trip, we realized that, oh my God, Century Crack isn't a one and only. Mm. There are hundreds of the, there are hundreds of these things <laughs> out there. Wow. Um, and I think for, for both of us, it was really rewarding to find that area um, and develop this style of roof crack climbing, which hasn't really been around before. There have been a few like, occasional big roofs but we were finding these things that weren't just like a hundred foot long like century crack but were 100 meters long you know mm. like these big massive roofs what was the one with the with, with the super gnarly mono crux on it um cobra crack no not not cobra crack it was no. it was one of the ones down in the white rim area it was a roof crack in the desert oh the crew crucifix the crucifix. crucifix yeah 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 yeah. so that's in the same area that's mm-hmm. in the same area yeah still a project still a project yeah, yeah i've forgotten project. about that that's right i remember following the updates and being like are they gonna fucking do this thing like how hard is this gonna be you know yeah um we, is that still on your radar yeah we did a lot of other routes um around that area because there were loads of other big roof cracks um so whilst we were working on the cru- crucifix we were also like doing these other you know, hard 513, low 514 trad routes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we never kind of got around to finishing off or doing the crucifix. I think, 
I think it's for the next generation. Mm. <laughs> there we go. There we go. It's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Get, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I know it's, it's, uh, it's hard to assign grades to things that haven't been done yet, but um, give me some context around that. I mean, how does it compare to, to something like Crown Royale or some of these other hardest trad routes you've done? Is this thing 515? I mean, like what? Yeah. What's the... Yeah. Yeah, wow. absolutely. 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 A hundred percent. hundred percent. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. I, th I think in the, in the crook section, which is uh, the beginning section of the route. So the first half, we, we did some of the moves, but there was, uh, there was maybe like a five to 10 meter section where we were only really be able to hang positions. Mm. So hang positions and not, and only to kind of start moving between them, but not ever make any progress in being able to, to do the moves. So it Damn. needs to, yeah, it's, it's proper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's cool to know that yeah. things like that are out there. I mean, I was, I was curious to get into like, what's the future? Like, where is this headed? You know, are we going to have a, um, you know, a, a, a hard 515 someday um, that's like a proper crack climb. Um, so yeah, it sounds like that might be, that might be one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could be one of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah for sure. I'd love to, I'd love to see um, it getting done, mm. you know, whether, whether that's me or Tom and we eventually go back or whether that's somebody else, um, like it would be, yeah, it would be really impressive mm -hmm. if it gets done. Yeah. 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 Significantly harder than like Crown Royale or anything like that. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Futuristic. Going back to Crown, um, it's good to get that context. So it's more like a 60 meter pitch with 40 meters of of kind of, um, yeah. uh, what, what's the term that exit people climbing. use? Exit climbing or, or like, a, you know, bonus round or uh, glory yeah. climbing, you know, to the summit. That's <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah. So yeah, I was imagining... I was just, I was curious how you, how you train for something like that. I imagine it has to be very specific. And if it's, um, you know, if it's bouldery trad climbing, are you just doing a lot of bouldering over the summer? Are you trying to replicate it? Because what you guys did with Century Crack was so unique and kind of revolutionary in a way, also so simple, but just brilliant. Like you guys are just going back and forth and back and forth, hundreds, thousands of laps in the cellar, um, perfectly mimicking that roof crack style that you end up finding in with century crack but for something like this it just seems a lot more difficult i can imagine that horizontal crack climbing in the cellar is not going to be the most relevant thing to prepare you for a more bouldery way less horizontal route like crown royale so yeah what did your preparation look like over the summer and um how do you train for a 60 meter bouldery crack climb without having access to something like that over the summer. Yeah, totally. So I didn't do any cellar training. Um, one, because I don't live in Sheffield anymore. Um, and two, because like you said, it's um, the two things are not relevant at all. Mm. Um, so how I trained was I actually did a lot of general bouldering and power endurance bouldering as well. But the only reason why I did do those um, is because, well, one, because bouldering is like a, a big weakness of mine. Um, like if, 
it, it is a really pumpy pitch. And at the top, I was like fighting hard with the pump. But as a climber, I'm definitely naturally more kind of gifted at endurance climbing. And I'm kind of like a bit terrible at bouldering. Mm. So for me, I needed to be able to, to be able to get my bouldering level um, a bit higher just so the individual sections felt generally a bit easier. Um, and I knew that the stamina wasn't going to be so much of an issue. Mm. Uh, and the other thing, I also knew that the crack climbing element of it wasn't going to be so much of an issue because I've done so much crack climbing before. It's not like I need to practice any of the techniques on the route. And I don't really need to feel like I build up any fitness so much within the crack climbing. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I did a lot of bouldering and a lot of like repetitions of boulders, like back to back boulders, um, and building up, yeah, strength, power, and power endurance. Mm-hmm. Those are the main things. Uh, but that's purely because that's my weakness. Okay. Um, I mean, if if you were more of a bouldery type person going to that route, I'm sure you'd find the sections actually quite easy because the hardest boulder is probably like V10 or 7C plus on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have to do like back-to-back boulders, then you know maybe you're going. That person is going to have to work on their stamina and endurance because by the end of sixty meters, you're going to be so wasted. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it, it's really important to also be able to um, recover in the rest positions, and some of the rest positions are actually quite stressful. And that's another. I would say that's another strength of mine: being mm-hmm. able to rest in stressful positions. So yeah, what what is that? Do you think is that just um, is that just lots of practice? Because you clearly clearly have lots of practice with that. But what makes you good at that? Resting in stressful positions. Yeah, what is that? I mean, what is that? Are you um, just able to like embrace the suck and just like kind of yeah. relax into the, the heinousness of it? Like, how, yeah, what makes you good at that? It's probably a few things. I mean, like I said, I think naturally then. I'm more of an endurance climber, so I'm more naturally able to recover mm-hmm. a bit better, I think. Also, as a kid, I did so much stamina training. Like, that's all I ever did. For climbing? Stamina, stamina, stamina. For climbing, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. that's basically all I ever did. So that's also why I probably think like I'm naturally better at that. Did that, then, did that look like... With, sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry to interrupt. Um, no, actually, because I forgot what I was going to say now. So you <laughs> damn it, <laughs> my bad. That was that was an interviewer don't. That was something that you're not supposed to do. Uh, <laughs> um, your stamina training as a kid did that look like training, or did that did that just look like you climbing a ton because you loved climbing and just put in lots of volume? Like how formal um, was that? I guess is what I'm asking. There was definitely a bit of training in it. Uh, like I used to be in the uh, GB junior team Mm. so um, I was definitely training a bit like for the competitions and I did like the odd international competition as well Mm -hmm. Um, so I definitely was like doing a bit of training for those but because I loved endurance training that's basically all I did Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah 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 Uh, and, and I think that could also be why my bouldering and stuff has suffered um mm-hmm. And yeah, I feel like in the last 10 years, I've just been like 
just work on bouldering. That's all I've been doing, just mm. trying to work on, on bouldering to, to build that up because I just have this natural base of endurance, which never seems to go away. It just takes me like two weeks to get it back again. And I'm like, oh yeah, I feel fit now. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> whereas I'm just like grinding, grinding the bouldering out. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm always impressed with people like you that say that they're, you know, no good at bouldering and they're really fit. I mean, obviously you're a world-class athlete and I'm not, but I spend all my time bouldering and I think it's what I'm best at and I still have a really hard time. I've still never sent a V10 on a route, you know, like I've climbed a lot of V10s, but um, but I've never done a V10 crux in the middle of a sport climb or something. So yeah, you, good job. But you, luckily this one is low down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's not, there's not much climbing into it. Okay. So that's yeah. lucky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right on. When did you first get the bug for outdoor climbing? I, I can't remember what film it was, but I remember watching some classic, you know, Brit grit, film and i think it was you and your sister as kids just out there doing really cool stuff um but yeah when did you first when did you first really get the bug for outdoor climbing trad climbing yeah i guess i was quite lucky in a way in a sense that um, i really have just grown up with it hmm. um i can't remember like particularly getting getting the bug for it and it was actually it was actually my parents who um, like got me into climbing and the outdoors and and this kind of stuff. And I think me and my sister were following my parents on, you know, gritstone routes outdoors and going walking, scrambling in North Wales in the Lake District in England before we even went to the climbing gym. Mm. Um, That's cool. So, yeah, it's always, I feel like it's always been this outdoors and, yeah, there's always been built in there. Mm -hmm. um, maybe when I was... 15 or 16 uh i would say i got more into uh, me pursuing my own personal outdoor climbing goals especially locally on the grit stone i got really into climbing what's classed as like hard grit um like locally because that's the area that i grew up in mm -hmm. so um yeah, it's always been around me, like the gritstone edges, and I've grown up on them. But when I was 15 or 16, I kind of really got into, kind of focused on my own goals and kind of took a little bit more of my own path um, and started to, like, yeah, adventure out into kind of some harder trad routes and some more scary grit routes. And um, I mean, my parents are, are, are decent climbers, but they haven't climbed above uh, the grade of E2. So, I think initially for them, when I started going out and climbing E5, E6, E7, it was like a little bit of a learning curve for them sure. as well. Yeah. Um, because I, because I don't think they'd been, they weren't that experienced in those grades either. Um, so yeah, it was probably interesting uh, period for them as well. <laughs> yeah. Probably terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so different than watching your kid progress in, sport climbing or bouldering, you know, I mean, there's this built in, this baked in element of increased risk as you go up those E grades. And uh, yeah, it must be, must've been really interesting for them to navigate, for you guys to navigate that as a family. Yeah, I think um, my mum's way of navigating it was coming out and belaying me. So it, it's in kind of um, supporting me so that, she knew 
I could do it or giving me like every best chance that I am going to do it and something doesn't go wrong because I would go and do it anyway, even if she didn't come out and belay me. Mm. <laughs> so that was probably, that was probably. That's cool. Yeah. Navigating it. So yeah, there's some, uh, in that, in that film, which you're on about, which is called Grit Kids, which has got me and my sister in, there's a route at the end, which I do, which is the first ascent of a, an E9. And, uh, it's got my mum belaying me mm. and on the top section, it's like, you know, a section of the route where if you'd fall off, you'd, you'd deck out. And I'm there as like seven, 17 year old and my mum's belaying me, like <laughs> hoping to keep me off the ground if, if I fall off, you know? So yeah, <laughs> must've been absolutely terrifying. Like I look back here <laughs> now and think, oh my God, like this is outrageous. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's a pretty amazing support role for her to choose to step into because she could, you know, just as easily have been like, no, not on my watch. You know, you're not you're not doing this unless you sneak out of the house and go do it uh, on your own. Maybe she knew that you would no matter what, so she wanted to be a part of it. But did you ever have to have conversations with your parents about risk? Did you ever have to justify it to them or explain why the climbing meant enough to you to take the risk? Um, or did they did they just understand it? What like what did that look like to kind of help them understand what it meant to you? Yeah, I don't think they understood it um, initially, like those higher grades, because they'd never climbed those higher grades. Um, because some higher E grades can be totally safe, you know, it just right. depends on the difficulty of climbing. But I was also doing a mixture of like really bold stuff, bold and easier things, you know, mixed in with harder and safe things as well. Um, I do remember like one. I don't remember the specific conversation, but there was definitely one time when I came back and I'd said I'd done this E5 and we were talking about it and it was my first E5, but it was actually a solo. There wasn't any gear on it. The climbing was quite easy. And I think that, I remember thinking that like that shocked them a little bit mm. that I'd gone out and done that. I was climbing with a friend at the time. Um, and I remember there being a conversation around that, but that's the only conversation about it. Um, and I think, I feel like they've, learned about it as I've progressed as well and learned about the danger and risk element to those routes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Cause there's, there definitely is a danger and risk element to them. All right. So yeah, <laughs> some of them at least. Sure. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. So that so obviously and so clearly set you on the path that you've kind of stayed on for your whole career. I think that's a really interesting thing that I see in you is that you and Tom, like you, you kind of found your path and you've just tripled down on like, this is our thing. We want to be the best in the world at this thing. But there's clearly more fun ways to challenge yourself. Like I know that you've climbed on the kilter board, you know, like you've, you've done some other really just objectively type one fun climbing. So as far as the off with thing and all the really hard crack climbing and the suffering associated with those climbing styles that you do so much and that you've pursued for basically your whole climbing career, what is it about that that you love so much? Um, I think about like crack climbing and off with thing and the more suffering-y type things of climbing like you could say um the same thing about rope soloing as well and like big wall soloing you know i've done a bunch of bunch of those things and it's that same kind of thing <laughs> in a way um but 
I think I like them because they're something a little bit different to start with. It's not something that everybody's doing and everybody's going after, which I quite like. Uh, and the thing about crack climbing, I, I like all the different techniques that you can use. And then also, like I was saying before, I'm a very like endurance stamina based climber. Um, and I think these things that I've done really relate to those like crack climbing and especially off with climbing in general really lends itself to like the endurance stamina based climber, especially like the, the longer routes that we've done because it's, you, you never really feel like you're going to fall off and off with. It's always just, you feel like you give up and that's mm. why you fall off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of a bit of a trait that I have that, you know, I just keep going and going and going and don't like giving up mm-hmm. and, you know, just have, lo- have loads of stamina. So that's what I really enjoy. And you, you, I feel like you tend to enjoy the things that you're better at mm. and then you end up going down that road and then you realize you're good at it and then you keep doing it and then you neglect the things that you're not so good at. And I think that's just a general thing for everybody because you, you trend towards the things that you enjoy yeah, totally. um, or, or that you're good at and then you end up enjoying them. Um, so I think I think that's kind of the the reason really, and it's yeah. the, the same with like big wall climbing and and rope soloing and doing these things in a day. It's just like it's hard work and it's grind and it's endurance based things, and that's where I feel like my my strengths are. So that's why I probably enjoy them because mm-hmm. uh, because I feel like I'm executing them well, even though they're a grind. Um, and it's it's nice to be able to feel like you're doing something well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wonderful Pistachios. You guys know that I mostly eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, right? I've talked about that a lot. But I always need good crag snacks to bring to the boulders or to the cliff. I like to bring a whole meal as well, but you know, you don't want to have a bag full of Tupperware and things like that. Pistachios are known for their protein power fiber, and better-for-you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help keep you feeling fuller longer than other snacks. And they are so convenient and so tasty. Their no-shell flavors include the classic roasted and salted. That one is my favorite. It's super basic, but I love it. Salt and pepper, honey roasted, chili roasted, and smoky barbecue. They are all so good. You literally can't go wrong. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of sizes, perfect for enjoying by yourself or with family and friends or taking them with you on your climbing adventures. So whether you're hitting the climbing gym after work or heading out on a weekend adventure, fuel up with a healthy and tasty snack. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Again, that's wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. And now back to the show. With training, you obviously are no stranger to hard training. You know, those epic montages of you and Tom screaming in the cellar, grunting and sweating and almost puking and stuff. And then, you know, all the bouldering that you've been doing. Are you into it the same way that Tom is? So Tom has partnered up with Ollie Tour, started Lattice. He's, you know, testing everybody, collecting all the data, super into making training plans and talking about all the time, doing tons of podcasts. Are you a geek about training? Um, In the same way, do you enjoy that part of it? Or is it just, 
you know, I need to get better bouldering. I'm just going to spend more time bouldering. What, what does your approach look like? Yeah, I've never been like massively geeky on the whole um, training front. Like, like especially not with anybody else's climbing, um, but also not with my own climbing. But what I do like about training is, I don't know, just like the feeling of training. Like that getting a pump in your forearms or like working hard um, or like grinding it out or, you know, finishing the end of a session and you, you're wasted and things like that. And I guess that's why my training has always led to those types of training as well. Mm-hmm. And then I've always more neglected the oh, the classic fingerboarding or hangboarding because I feel like when I get to the end of those sessions, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a good session, but I don't really feel that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I want you to feel, want to feel, I want to feel you wasted. Want to feel you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, so, I see that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's why... Uh, I've ended up training a bit, a bit more in in that sense. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I'm definitely not as uh, uh, geeky as Tom in terms of the the training sense. Mm-hmm. My training has been a bit more loose, and I've tended to just done it um, how I feel. Like I'll have a general plan. You know, it's like oh, I'm working towards this goal. I need to do this, this, and this, and there will be a plan, but it will just be in my head. Mm. And not like, oh, you need to do this on Monday, this on Tuesday, this on Thursday, this Friday. There's never been any kind of structure like that. Um, or not until, I say that, not until the last year. Um, so, but then in the last year working towards Crown Royale, then I was like, I'm going to do this properly. I'm going to get some structure. Uh, and then, yeah, I got some help from from Tom and, and the Lattice guys. So okay. I actually had a program for that. Okay. Um, so, yeah. How was that experience? Did you enjoy that? Uh, it, for me, it was really nice because um, I've obviously been training hard for the last 10 or 15 years. Um, and I've always just been doing it my way. And that's been good. But it was really nice to actually have a change and do it slightly differently, have a little bit of structure. Um, and also, the one thing I found was you just end up with different exercises different variety um it wasn't like the training was any harder i would say than what i've been doing uh but it was more just like oh there's this exercise to do now and this exercise why have i neglected that for the last 10 years this is you know this is really interesting (laughs) (laughs) so that was really nice that i just got like this whole different thing of um other stuff that i've been doing because you can really get just like tunnel vision in what you're doing and Mm -hmm. end up doing the same 20 exercises for 10 years you know totally and you think you're changing it you think you're changing it up but actually you're not changing it up that much (laughs) yeah so uh, yeah yeah so it was really nice to get some stuff from those guys because um it changed it up a little bit and it gave it more variety and i actually got like a bit more psyched for the training as well and Mm. kind of like kept me in line so what are some of the things that you think were the most helpful in preparing for Crown Royale that they had you do that you wouldn't have done yourself? Um, for me, it was definitely a lot of the conditioning work around the shoulders. Um, so that's like definitely one thing which I think was a massive help um, because throughout my whole climbing, I haven't really actually done 
that much conditioning work and that much stuff with shoulders um you know you know the odd the odd thing here and there but never really like some focused attention on it and immediately when i when we actually put focused attention to that part of my body and loads of different exercises revolving around the shoulders um, i immediately saw a big improvement like climbing on the board climbing on the kilt board mm. um, and in my bouldering as well and i basically yeah i really felt like it was that that made um a, a big difference just because it was so different to other stuff uh, that i'd done before yeah um, yeah I, I would i would yeah uh, uh, a lot of stuff on the uh, program was um stuff i had done before but different varieties of working that energy system so they just gave a variety in different ways of doing the session um which was good but actually like the shoulder exercises was a part of training which i felt like i had actually ne neglected a bit mm. uh, so then when i when when i added that in i was like whoa holy crap like this is really good like i can feel a difference on the wall here immediately in like three weeks just from doing this wow um and then i did that throughout it was probably like a six month period and I, I really felt like a big difference so it was good are there any exercises or facets of that training block that you plan to continue doing like anything that felt really good like oh this is something that i could continue benefiting from a lot in my climbing in general that you plan to to kind of take with you moving forward yeah um i mean yeah there's a whole bunch of exercises you know just like the scapular lifts on a bar uh, the roll-ups roll when you're lying on the floor, uh, the, sh the shoulder rotations like this way, just sat on the ground. You know, like all these little exercises that don't necessarily necessarily sound like very much, but you do five to ten of these exercises and you're doing it two to three times a week and you've never done them in your climbing life before. And then <laughs> I think, yeah, you suddenly see a big difference. And so, yeah, I'll definitely take like a whole bunch of those going through into future projects and like um i think even just into like a winter training season because usually i have like a bit of a, a training se season over the winter just in general so i'll just carry those on into that kind of like conditioning training phase i think mm -hmm. yeah it's got to be fun to be you and tom i mean you guys have kind of positioned yourself as two of the best crack climbers in the world there's several other people out there that are crushing you know james pearson and, and jacopo and um and and others but uh, I imagine, you know, you hear about a new hard trad route and you can kind of like, there aren't that many of them. So you must be able to keep track of kind of all of the coolest, hardest ones that are popping up. And I wonder if you have like a list, um, but do, do you feel that way? Like when you hear about a new hard splitter crack or, or just trad route that someone's done, is it like automatically on the wrist list and you guys talk about it and think about it and, and uh, talk about plans to go try it? Yeah, no, I think with the the crack climbing, then it's definitely on the radar immediately mm -hmm. <laughs> with uh, with what people have done. Like I know Didier uh, did that really cool looking thing in Squamish recently, Crack of Destiny. He gave it fourteen uh, B, I think, um, and yeah, that looks amazing. So it would be definitely fun to go and try that at some point. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of general trad lines, uh, they're definitely always on the radar uh, because, like you say, they're kind of few and far between and you definitely know when when a hard trad line has been done but if you were to say to me are you keen to go and try tribe for example 
I probably wouldn't because <laughs> it's just it's just not not my bag from mm. from the look of it. Super bouldery. It's too re- yeah, two really hard boulder problems stacked on top of one another. Um, it's yeah, it's going to be way out my depth in terms of uh, style. You know, I'd have to put a lot of a lot a lot of training into being able to consider going and trying that and i probably have other things and other projects which i'm more psyched on Mm -hmm. uh, to spend my time training for so yeah 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 makes sense i think i think i think when you're climbing at the at, at your limit then you need to find routes which suit your style sure yeah um, yeah 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 so let's talk about that what what makes that list for you um i was going to ask you later what is the ultimate badass thing you could see yourself doing in climbing i'm curious do you have just like huge lofty audacious projects or goals um specific lines you you would love to do in your lifetime the things that like just Um, stand on top of the pinnacle for you I, i definitely always have goals but they but they kind of they come and they come and go. It's like they come they come to mind. I will work towards them, and then I feel like I generally do them. Um, the, the the goals that I set. Um, so yeah, there's never any sort of like lofty pie in the sky mm-hmm. goals. You don't have like an end all be all trad route out there. Not really, no. No, not 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 particularly. Um, yeah, I kind of pick objectives and and goals when when things come to me or I get psyched by it. Um, it's not. I don't feel like oh, I'd love to find this particular splitter crack and it's it's going to be this grade and and this steepness and fit this style or whatever. I don't. It's not like I'm out there searching for that. It's, yeah, it's more visiting places and, yeah, seeing what I'm keen on. And, yeah. 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 Yeah, it seems like, yeah, yeah, I see that in you. It seems like you just love climbing. Like you just you just want to do whatever looks good. Enjoy all the best stuff. Yeah, yeah. and And it's not like... I want to just go and search uh, hard single pitch trad lines mm-hmm. either. Um, you know, I, I really like doing like my adventure climbing and the things in Norway and the big wall climbing. Um, and a few years ago, I was kind of into like speed big wall climbing, like in Yosemite climbing a few walls in a day and soloing a few walls in a day and, and these kind of things. So mm-hmm. I go through phases of like, when I'm doing that stuff, then I'm obviously not in good top physical trad climbing shape. You know, like when I was climbing those walls, I wouldn't have been able to climb Crown Royale, for example. But then now when I'm climbing Crown Royale, I'm not going to have the... I feel like it'd take me a little while to get back into that solo big wall type mindset um, of climbing efficiently well. Um yeah doing those things so i go through these waves of different styles of climbing um yeah mm-hmm. what were you getting up to in yosemite on this most recent trip oh you know what it was actually really nice i went there with um 
with really really limited goals it's probably quite view, uh, boring for boring for the listeners <laughs> uh, but i just I, I just come off the back of doing that thing in yossingfjord uh so i was like ah oh, like this is brilliant i'm going with mari my girlfriend um let's just climb some nice routes it's gonna be a really good time she had a few projects which she wanted to do so i, I was kind of like helping her as well towards doing those things um yeah, yeah it was a really nice trip it felt like a a relaxed chilled trip nice. wake up in the morning and yeah <laughs> just go climbing and yeah with with limited projects on on the horizon so yeah it was good yeah because um, i've always been to yosemite in the past with with projects mm. like i would like to do this this time so yeah it was nice to go and just climb routes yeah that is cool yeah i think one of my favorite feelings in climbing is having just achieved the goal just getting to go chill at the crag you know like go yeah like i don't even have to climb i i mean i will because i'm you know it's so fun but i'd be just i'm just happy to be out here be around my friends yeah. not have an agenda like this is so nice and i i, I wouldn't want to do that all the time like it's 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 all the sweeter because you've just done the thing that you you know worked really hard for and suffered for and weren't sure if you'd be able to do and you know all the tension around that and then it's released and you're like ah oh, i get to just go enjoy climbing this is so fun yeah it's a good feeling yeah it's awesome yeah yeah i, f I feel like i feel like i must have been uh, relaxed on this yosemite trip because every time i've been to yosemite before i've always been like uh whenever somebody said like oh do you fancy going bouldering i've always been like no 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 bouldering no i can't go bouldering like <laughs> You don't, you don't go to Yosemite to go bouldering. Like I'm, I'm climbing the walls. I'm climbing the walls. Um, whereas this time, like I just felt so relaxed and yeah, I actually went bouldering and I climbed Midnight <laughs> Lightning for the first time. And, you know, all these kind of <laughs> nice. classics. You know, I've been to Yosemite for so many years and I've never even just pulled onto that problem. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just fun to go and do, do things like that. So Nice. That's yeah. awesome. This is going to seem like a 90 degree turn here, but Tell me about Darth Grader. Um, I want to hear about that in thinking about what what grade to give Crown Royale because you did suggest a grade for it. Of course, you know, as a first ascensionist, it's always hard to to assign your entire experience one single number. Um, but yeah, tell me about Darth Grader. I think this is a fun thing to introduce the audience to because I hadn't heard about this at all until... <clears throat> excuse me, I think this past spring, I went up to Salt Lake City. I was down in St. George and I went up to Salt Lake City and uh, stayed at Boone Speed's house and hung out with him and Bailey and we were just catching up and stuff. And he's like, have you heard about this thing? And he showed me Darth Grader and we just, it blew my mind. And we had so much fun. I was like plugging in all these roots at Smith and I was like, I always thought it was that great, you know? And, and it's, it's such an incredible tool. It's it feels like magic. I don't understand how it's possibly as on the nose as it has been for all these random routes that I have plugged in. But um, I'll let you describe it. I might add to uh, your description for people. But yeah, tell me about Darth Grader. Yeah, so Darth Grader is this app. I don't know when it came about. A year or two years ago now, maybe. And essentially, it's a way of breaking down a route so that you can give it more of an objective grade so it's not so subjective and the way it works is you 
you break your route down into manageable sections for your personal climbing. So if we're taking like a 9A route, for example, which is difficult for me, it might be difficult for me to grade that route because it's kind of the top end of my climbing level. Um, so it's it's hard to know where the boundaries are in that. But if I break that route down into different sections, I can easily, I can give it better grades. Like I know what a 8A, 8B feels like, and I know what like a, a V6 to a V11 feels like. So I can break the route down into these different grades. And, and the app basically does this. You take different sections of the route. You say like this section is a V11 and it's got a good, medium or bad rest after it. And then you do the next section of the route and you plug it into the app and then it gives you a <laughs> grade it's, at the it end. It spits out a freakily accurate grade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can you can pick either um, a boulder problem grade or a sport grade in either the Yosemite, you know, Waco or French systems. You can say like, yeah, you know, V11 to a bad rest to a section of 12C, 512C to a good rest to a V8, you know, whatever. It, it, whatever you want to do, you can just plug it in like that. And it's like showing you on the top, like it's building the difficulty of the climb and telling you where you are in the range of the grade that you're in. And it's freaky, man. It's really amazing how well it works. Um, but it sounds like you you used this or as, as um, you know, in addition to your subjective feeling about the grade, but it seems like you you plugged this in for Crown Royale and um, that was part of your decision to go with 9A, which is awesome. Yeah, because it was um, like a, a route that was at the more at the upper end of, of my level. Um, then, then I found it, it hard to, to suggest a grade. Initially, when I went on the route, I felt like it was in that 8C plus 9A region because I was like, this is as hard or harder than recovery drink, which is an 8C plus on on the wall, like one line to the right, basically, mm -hmm. uh, which I'd done a couple of years ago. Um, so I knew it was within that region, but it's always difficult when you're the first person to like finally put a number on it. And I thought it was pretty close to the boundary of 8C plus and 9A. Um, so yeah, I, I just tried to plug it into the app and I tried to be as like, as accurate as I could with the, the boulder grades, um, on the route and trying to compare the, the boulder problems on the route to other boulder problems, like on the ground, for example, that I'd done, you know, trying to relate them to other crack boulders or other normal boulder problems. Cause I think also what could happen with that app is i feel like boulder problems on routes can get inflated grades mm -hmm. you tend you tend to give more inflated grades to boulder problems on routes uh, um so when i was doing it i was trying to be like as yeah honest to myself as i could and mm -hmm. relate it to other boulder problems um like that were at ground level basically yeah. Um, yeah. Well, at ground level, and also the uh, the boulder problems that were on recovery drink as well. So I linked it to those two because mm -hmm. uh, that's on the same wall. Um, yeah, and then I put it into there, and it came out at soft nine A. So then, 
uh, with my feeling and then that, then I was just like, yeah, I'll just give it a punt and suggest that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, yeah. I, I brought it up because I think it's such a cool tool. And if any of you know who made this thing, hit me up. I want to interview whoever uh, made this thing. I don't know if it was one person or a team or what or how they did it. It's fascinating to me. But um, the thing I, you guys should go play with it. I'll link to it in the show notes. The thing I've loved about it is when I'm uncertain about a grade or when there's, when I have like a pretty strong feeling about a grade of a route I've done, but um, you know, there's, there's like, it's a new route and me and my friends are talking about it. A few of us have done it and we can't decide what it is. I plug it in there and then it's so helpful to just tweak things, you know, like, okay, let's say even if this crux is V6 instead of V7, or even if this rest is, is, uh, is good instead of medium or whatever, you, you can tweak it all around. And then if it's still like in that same grade range, you know, like drops like a quarter of a grade and it's now in the low end, but it's still in there. I'm like, okay, I've got a lot of conviction. This thing's like definitely harder, yeah, than, yeah, yeah. harder than we're giving it credit for. You know, I, I just think it's really fun to go in there and tweak it and play with it and, I do the same thing. I'll, I'll kind of start with like my most gut feeling, honest uh, breakdown of the route, see where that is, and then go with my most like laughably conservative version of all the sections of the route and see where that is. And it's just clarifying. I think it's I think it's really cool. I think it's cool to have a little bit more. Um, and it's not a perfect tool by any means, but a little bit more like objectivity and science around this weird grade thing that that we all use to to play the game that we play i think it's helpful because i don't know trends and and kind of um training trends and and like you know board climbing and all these tools are definitely changing outdoor grades and i find that really interesting i want something to kind of like anchor things a little bit and i think this is just a an interesting reference so it's fun yeah, I think I think with that tool as well that it is um, it is a subjective tool as well because even putting the grades in is a subjective thing, mm -hmm. um, but it's more of a you're breaking it down so it's more manageable for your ability. I think that's what the the thing is. But then you know somebody else could come along and go like, oh no, I I thought that was a V nine boulder problem and not a V ten boulder problem, right? Um, and then that totally and then that shifts the grade. You mm -hmm. know? Um, and you could just be wrong by a grade in a boulder and then it, it shifts the grade or whatever, or you, or somebody finds like a little bit better way to rest, for example, mm -hmm. and like you were saying, and it just tweaks it and it goes like, oh no, this is actually a good rest now mm -hmm. and not a medium rest. And then it tweaks it down. And so it's still definitely subjective, but I think it's nice, like you say, to give you an idea to know that you're in the range that you think you're in. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's a good guide, I think, Yeah. To, to help you. Yeah. Yeah. How did your experience on Crown Royale compare to Recovery Drink? Very different routes. I think it's about twice as long, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. Isn't Recovery Drink a lot more dense, like 35 meters or something? Yeah, I think Recovery is about 35 meters. Um, and the hard section is really condensed into about 15 meters um or, or 20 meters and i think i think i learn a lot about red pointing on that route as well uh, on recovery drink which i was able to and also training as well 
which I was able to take over and kind of apply to Crown Royale because it's all on the same wall. Um, and it's a kind of similar style of climbing as well. Um, so I definitely felt like I, I learned some things from Recovery Drink that I kind of applied to to Crown Royale. I think Crown Royale would have taken me longer if I hadn't done Recovery Drink first. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a useful stepping stone. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, I guess the difference in routes is, uh, or, or in um, uh, like sequences or feelings on the route is that Recovery Drink is more like a total power endurance 15 to 20 meter section of of difficult climbing whereas crown rail is these lots of different boulder problems stacked on top of one another and you're just really beasted by the end (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) yeah has anyone else expressed interest in it since you've done it Uh, well actually you mentioned at the beginning of this call that you'd spoken to um matt seagal Mm -hmm. and uh, he messaged me uh, just a week or so ago now, kind of expressing interest to come to the wall and nice. uh, check it out and stuff. So yeah, if he, if he comes over in the spring and I'm around in Norway, it'd be cool to um, meet up. I don't ever remember meeting Matt actually. So um, yeah, it'd be fun to meet up with him because obviously I've seen yeah lots of videos and seems like cool guy and yeah. fun guy. So yeah, it'd be fun fun to show him the wall and whatever. So nice. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if I'm around or and stuff. But. He'll probably make you cook with him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's really into his cooking and stuff, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. But uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool for some people to come and kind of sample the wall and do the routes. And as well as those two hard routes, like Recovery Drink and Crown Royale, there's a whole range of really good um, stuff on there from 7B plus um, to 8B plus, mm. you know, apart from those, those kind of two routes or to 8C actually. So cool. yeah, there's there's a whole whole load of different things. Loads of really good eight A's, like trad eight A's as well. So nice. Yeah. Do you do you have the next line picked out? Do you have another vision or project on that wall? Uh, there's still a few first ascents to do. The uh, that one that I just did was I feel like the last big line, like the last big main line. Um, there's a. There's definitely still some others to do, but I wouldn't say they're quite as proud as those lines. I feel like the the, the proud lines have been picked now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, there's still some things to do, but the the, the really nice ones have have gone. I think yeah. And where did the first ascent? Where did the name come from? I love the name. Oh yeah, that was just from. So I'd done a whole bunch of routes around the same area. Uh, so I'd done one called Norwegian Crown. I'd done one called Crown Jewel. And then there was one, the beginning was called Little Crown or Lily Krona. So then, yeah, I called this one Crown Royal. Just had a theme of Crown. I just ended up starting this. Basically, the first one I did there was called Norwegian Crown. Can't remember why I called it that now. Just because <laughs> it was really it was really good. Mm. Um, yeah, and I thought it kind of sounded sounded good. And then I just carried on with the whole Crown theme and that's where that came from nice yeah. i was wondering if recovery drink if if you guys were just like you know finishing your climbing sessions drinking crown royale or something can't yeah. imagine why you would i don't <laughs> think you'd bring that over yeah because it because it's the uh it's the drink as well isn't it yeah 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 
Yeah, I guess I guess I hadn't thought of that, but I guess that kind of like links in with like the recovery <laughs> with the recovery drink theme as well. Yeah, in that sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe yeah, it was the recovery drink after. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's nice, great. nice. Well, right on, man. This has been super fun. I I have a bunch of questions in front of me for you and Tom. I've got a bunch of wide boys questions. Okay. Does now seem like a good time to go grab him and uh, yeah, yeah. dive into some more stuff? Perfect. I'll just uh, give me two minutes. I'll just go and grab him from the other room. Amazing. Well, yeah, I appreciate it, cool, man. Cool. It's been super fun to get to know you a little bit better. And it's so good to finally have a solo episode with Pete Whitaker. Really appreciate you for doing this. And uh, patrons, stick around. We're going to dive into some of your questions and we've got a lot of really fun topics. And I think we'll get into more crack tips from the wide boys so stick around for that and for the rest of you thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time hey friends i hope you enjoyed that conversation with pete if you want to stick around for more i would love that tom ended up joining us and we did another hour with pete and tom the two wide boys so it was me asking them questions mostly from you guys we answered a lot of your most burning questions about all things crack climbing. They gave some tips for different levels of trad climbers trying to break into different grades. We talked about different techniques for different hand sizes, and we had a lot of laughs and some fun along the way. So be sure to check that out. That is available right now for patrons who support the show at patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing. If you're listening on your podcast app, you can scroll down and find the link to Patreon right there below the description for this episode. And right now there's a seven day free trial. So you can go over there, sign up for Patreon for free. You can go listen to that extra with the wide boys with Pete and Tom. Again, it's an hour. It was a really fun episode and I think you guys will really enjoy it. So go check that out. It's available right now. And if you love this episode and you want more of Pete Whitaker, I always put a lot of goodies in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. You can go over there. I link to some videos from Pete and Tom trying Stranger Than Fiction. They've been making YouTube videos and sharing updates of their process. Pete has sent the route and Tom is still working on it as of this outro that I'm recording right now. But yeah, it's really fun to actually see them try the route on their YouTube channel. So go check that out. There's lots of goodies over there at thenuggetclimbing.com. Just find this episode and all of these show notes and links are there. All right. Thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate you all for listening to the very end. It means a lot to have you supporting the show. Even if it's just listening, it means a lot to me. So thank you. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time. Like we do it, like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can